Good morning, everyone. God is good. When I say God is good, you say all the time. Then I say all the time, and you say God is good. Let everything be done decently and in order. Let's try that again. God is good. And all the time. Yes. Now, when you say God is good, are you saying that because you are required to say that? Or are you saying that because you have evidence of the goodness of God in your life? Why do you say it? Because you have evidence of the goodness of God in your life? If that's the case, let's try it again. God is good. And all the time. Yes, in Kenya they say, and that's his nature. I must remind you of a very unpleasant fact. That is, last night, all over the United States, some people who went to sleep did not get up this morning. Have I just spoken the truth? Yes. It happened in Canada, Russia, Sweden, Brazil, in every country on earth. There were people who went to bed last night fully intending to get up this morning, and they were found dead. I say that not to depress you so early in the day, but I say it for us to reflect on the reason why did God allow us to live. He allowed us to live that through our lives today, we may bring glory to his name and his name alone, number one, and that we might be a blessing to someone else. And the two things are inseparably connected. We glorify God when we are a blessing to others. You know, 1 John 4, verse 20, If a man say he love God and hateth his brother, he's a liar. For how can he love God whom he hath not seen and hate his brother whom he hath seen? So let us try today to return an investment to God or give him a return on his investment of life in us. And let us try to be a blessing to someone. Is that a reasonable request? God bless you, and I say that from my heart. Our subject, Clash of the Titans. What did I say? Clash of the Titans. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 40. We shall read from verse 25. Isaiah 40. Verse 25. If you found it, say amen. amen. If you're still looking, say amen. All right, let's all be on the same page of discovery. Have we all found Isaiah 40? Verse, verse 25. To whom then will you liken me, or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Now that is a question from God. God is asking his people through Isaiah, is there any other entity? Is there any other being comparable to me? The first commandment says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. In that commandment, in that utterance, God is implying that there will be other gods. Or there were other gods. So God is saying to the Israelites, Of all the gods that you know, and they did worship all kinds of gods, is there one that can compare with me? To whom then will ye liken me, or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Let's go to uh, Isaiah 45. 
Well, no, let's go to Micah 7. Micah 7. I believe it's verse 19. Micah 7. Micah is one of those little books that give us headaches to find. It's called a minor prophet, not because the message is unimportant, but because the chapters are so few. The difference between a major prophet and a minor prophet is not the seriousness of the message, but how big the book is. So Isaiah is a major prophet because he has 66 chapters. Joel is a minor prophet because it just has three chapters. But the message they preach is both major. Are you with me? All right. Micah 7, I believe it's verse 19. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? And so the question is being asked, who is a God like unto thee? There is no God like God. Let's look at some things that God can do. Let's go to Isaiah 45. We were just there, or we were going there. Now let's go there. Isaiah 45, our subject, Clash of the Titans. Do you have Isaiah 45? Let's read verse 22 of Isaiah 45. The Bible says, look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. Now finish the verse for me if you have the King James Version. For I am God, finish the verse, and there is none like me. I am God. There is what? Like me. Stay in Isaiah 45. Let's go to verse 18. Clash of the Titans is our subject. Thus saith, for thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it. He hath established it. He created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. Finish the verse. I am the Lord and there is none else. I hope you believe that. For some people, money is a more reliable God than God. For some people, advancing along the path of a particular career is more God than God. For some people, pursuing and finally catching the man of their dreams is more God than God. For some people, having and raising children is more God to them than God. But God tells you and me today, I am the Lord and there is none else. Whatever else you and I may think, there is no God like the God of heaven and earth. Let us go to Isaiah 46. We read verses 9 and 10, our subject, Clash of the Titans. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. The Bible says, remember the former things of old. For I am God, read with me now, and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. Go to verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done. Now, why does God keep saying, I am God and there is none like me? In the verses we've read, there are three reasons why God says, I am God and there is none like me. Let's look at the verse we just read. This time we shall read it microscopically. What do I mean by that? We shall read it closely to identify those little pieces of meaning that a casual reading invariably misses. Remember 
the former things of old. I am God, and there's none like me. I am, there's none else. I am God, and there's none like me. Now, why is he God and none other like he is? Verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times the things that are not yet done. In Isaiah 46, 9 and 10, God identifies one reason why he is a God above all other gods. And what is that reason? No, Isaiah 46, 9 and 10, we were supposed to read microscopically. What's the reason God identifies that separates him from other gods? Listen to verse 10. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done. What reason does God give? He knows the end. from the, He's all-knowing. Now you may say, well, I know what will happen tomorrow, the sun will rise. <laughs> we don't know that for sure, because you may drop dead and it doesn't rise for you. God forbid, are you with me? God forbid. But can you tell me every detail that will occur tomorrow? At every time interval? No. God does. And so God says, my ability to declare the end from the beginning, is one quality that separates me from all other gods. If that's clear, say amen. amen. Let's go to Isaiah 45. Our subject is what? Clash of the Titans. Isaiah 45, let's read verse 22. I believe you have that. Look unto me, and be saved all the ends of the earth. Finish the verse with me now. For I am God... And there is none else. Now, why does he say, I am God and there is none else? What reason does he give in that passage? He alone can save. Let me reemphasize that. Only God can save you. Makes no difference to me how many offices you hold in the church. That will never save you. I'm not saying run home at the weekends over and drop them. I'm simply saying... Church office saves no one. Returning a tithe saves no one, but keep returning it. Keeping the Sabbath saves no one, but keep keeping it. Only God can save us. No other God can do that. And that's seen very early in the Bible. God gave life to Adam and Eve. Are you with me? Salvation is a giving of life that never ends. Are you following me? What did the devil give? Death. Hebrews 2.14, and destroyed him that had the power of death. That is the devil. So God is the God of life. The devil is the, the God of death, if I may put it that way. Only God can save. Two reasons why God differs from all others. What was the first reason we encountered? He is all-knowing the end from the beginning. What was reason number two? He alone can save. Let's go to verse 18 of Isaiah 45. Our subject, Clash of the Titans. I've informed I have an hour and a half. Please relax. I will not take all of that time. Elder Bohr said last night, they gave me three minutes, but I'm the boss. I'll take all the time I want, but I'm not the boss. So when I see the cards go up, I will obey. I want to give you that assurance. I will obey. What book did I say? Isaiah, what chapter? 45, what verse? 18. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens... God himself that formed the earth and made it. He hath established it. 
He created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. Finish the verse. I am God and there is none else. Now, what is it in that verse, now that we have read microscopically, that separates God from all other gods? He can create. Now, I'm sure there are many of the things God can do. We've identified three that we know the devil cannot do. Can God heal? The devil can heal. You look slightly shocked. The devil can heal. If he can put a disease on you, he can take it off. Did he not put a disease on Job, yes or no? Yes, he could have taken it off. Did he not have that woman bent over 13 years, according to Jesus Christ? Yes. What does the Bible say of the man of sin? Whose coming is after the working of Satan? 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 9. With all power and signs and lying wonders. Lying wonders does not mean fake wonders. It means wonders for the wrong reasons. To deceive, but the wonders are genuine. Let me say it again. For those of you who might be tempted to rush to churches saying, come get your miracle. The devil can perform miracles. <coughs> Always remember, the second greatest power in the universe is the power of Satan. Let me pause on that. I'll digress. I'll come back to Isaiah 45, 18. The second greatest power in the universe is the power of Satan. Second only to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. Amen. Bible Commentary, Volume 5, page 1083, paragraph 1, Ellen White writes, Bear in mind that it is none but God that can hold an argument with Satan. Not even Gabriel. Testimonies, Volume 1, page 341, paragraph 1, Jesus alone can limit the power of Satan. Or God alone can limit the power of Satan. Testimonies, Volume 1, page 341, Paragraph 1. Paragraphs 1 and 2. Only God can restrain Satan. Evangelism, page 617, Paragraph 2. The prince of the power of evil can only be held in check by the power of God in the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. So that Alan White identifies Father, Son, Holy Ghost as the only ones who can restrain Satan. Satan has tremendous power. And so God heals, the devil can heal. But the devil cannot give life. The devil cannot save. He cannot create. And he does not know in detail the end from the beginning. Now, <clears throat> we've looked at God's abilities. We've identified three. What was the first one? He's all-knowing. What was the second one? He says, what was the third of these three, which one does God use to defend his status as God, separate from all false gods? Creation. Over and over, God appeals to his ability to create as the central thing that separates him from all false gods. Let's go to Jeremiah 10. We read from verse 3. Our subject, Clash of the Titans. The Titans being God and, of course, Satan working through his agents. One of the agents of Satan is, of course, evolution as taught worldwide. Evolution is given the credit 
for having formed the earth and every living thing, and I'm putting it very crudely, I'm no scientist, but it's either God for us or evolution. We believe God is creator. The world overwhelmingly believes evolution is responsible. What book did I say? What chapter? 10, reading from what verse? 3. For the customs of the people are vain. For one cutteth a tree out of the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. They do what? Deck it with silver and gold. They fasten it with nails and hammers that it move not. They are upright as the palm trees, but do what? Speak not. They do what? They be not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, neither also is it in them to do good. Now, what is Jeremiah describing? An idol. Look at verse 3. For one cutteth a tree out of the forest. The work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. Now, listen to the Bible. When I consider thy heavens, the works of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast created. Now, we have the works of God's hands and we have the works of the devil's hands. Working through those who make idols. Listen to what God the Father says to the Son in Hebrews 1 verse 10. Thou, O Lord, in the beginning hath laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thy hands. The Father himself identifies the Son as the active creator. Yes, working under the direction, the will of the Father, but the active person in creation was the Son, and God the Father identifies the Son. As the active agent. So we have the works of the hands of divinity. We have the work of the hands of the devil working through those who make idols. Verse 4. They deck it with silver and with gold to make it attractive and appealing. They fasten it with nails and with hammers. They are upright as the palm tree, but speak not. They must needs be born because they cannot go. They don't move because they're dead. What Jeremiah is doing is giving us a picture of an idol. We know behind the idol is the devil. So Jeremiah wants God's people to know when you kneel before that piece of wood cut from the forest and artistically carved to look like something, you're not really praying to that piece of wood. You're praying to the power behind it. Identify that power, Satan. Now, let's go to verse 10. What's the first word in verse 10? But, what does but introduce? A contrast. But, keep reading. The Lord, he is what? The true God. Now, if there's a true God, what can you immediately conclude? There are false gods. John chapter 1 verse 9. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. If there's a true light, what can you conclude? There's a false light. John 15 1. I am the true vine, and my father is a husbandman. There is a false vine. My father giveth you the true bread that cometh from heaven. There is a false bread. There is a true Sabbath, and there is a false Sabbath. But the Lord, he is the true God, an everlasting king. Now God is brought in in contrast to that idol. Verse 11. Read with me if you have it. Thus shall ye say unto them, the gods, what? Keep reading. That hath not made the heavens and the earth, even they shall perish from the earth and from under these heavens. He hath made the earth by his what? Power. 
He hath established the world by his wisdom and has stretched out the heavens by his discretion. What is Jeremiah describing? The creative activity of God in contrast to the lifelessness of an idol. So God tells Jeremiah, tell them, the gods that have not made, the gods that have not created, the gods that cannot create, they shall perish. If they will perish, and we're contrasting one with the other, what does that tell you about the true God? He's everlasting. God bless whoever said that. He's everlasting. If the false gods shall one day perish, we read immediately, if we read microscopically, that the true God will exist forever. Somebody say amen. And so here is God appealing to creation as the reason why he stands head and shoulders and knees above all other so-called gods. Creation is the foundation, if I may say that, of God's divinity. Did I say that awkwardly? Let me say it again. Creation is the power above all others that God puts up front when he presents himself as a God we can trust and love. Amen. Not even his power to save is put up front as readily as his ability to create. And I'm going to show you why in a minute. Let's go to Isaiah 40. We read from verse 25 of Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40, reading from verse 25. Do you have that? To whom then will you liken me, or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Read 426 with me. Lift up your eyes where? Why? Why? Oh, let's pause. Don't read. Just look up. Why is, when you look up, what do you see? Don't tell me the roof. Yes, the heavenly bodies. Now notice verse 25. To whom then will you liken me, or shall I be equal? Now, God is presenting evidence why he is not comparable to anyone or no one can compare with him. Lift up your eyes on high and behold who hath created these things. The word creation or create. Here again, God appealing to creation as the reason why no other so-called God can compare with him. I want you to understand when you think of God, think of the creator. Let's go to Psalm 96. Psalm 96. We read verse 5 of Psalm 96. Our subject, clash of the titans. Titan 1 is God. Titan 2 is that instrument used by the devil to mislead so many people which is called evolution, which is the world's explanation for how life came to be on this earth. Do you have Psalm 96? What does verse 5 say? For the gods of the nations are idols. Finish the verse. But the Lord did what? Yes. Here again, God contrasts himself, separates himself from all false gods on the basis of his ability to create. Have I been clear so far? Let's review. People forget very quickly. I, the Bible presents, among others, or I have 
chosen three evidences of God's power as God. What was the first one we looked at? God is all-knowing. Where did that come from? Isaiah what? 45. Not 46, sorry. What verses? 9 and 10. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done. Number one. Number two, what did we identify? Where did that come from? Isaiah 45, 22. Look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none other, none else, none like me. What was the third one? And what chief verse did we use? Isaiah 45, verse 18. Now, let me ask you a question. When the Bible was written, was there sin on the earth? Sin on the earth. Yes. Who wrote the first five books? Moses. Was Moses a sinner? Did he lead the most hard-headed group of people that has ever existed? Yes. You know what Moses said to the Israelites? He have been stiff-necked against the Lord from the day that I knew you. Deuteronomy 9.24. From the day I knew you, but we leave that alone. All right, so there was sin. The Tower of Babel had been built hundreds of years before God had sent the flood. Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed. There was sin all over the earth when the Bible was written. But listen to Genesis 1.1 as Moses, under the guidance of the Spirit of God, introduces God to the world. Don't look for Genesis 1.1, just say it. In the beginning, God saved. On the basis of that verse, how does God choose to introduce himself to the world? Creator, not Savior, not King, not Priest, not Captain of the Lord's hosts. Creator. That is my favorite verse in all the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Nothing in the Bible is accidental. No teaching. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 tells us, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. We're told in 1 Corinthians 14, 33, For God is not the author of confusion, meaning he's the author of order and design and purpose. God had a reason. For introducing himself as creator above all the other offices he holds. If that's God's view, that should be our view. You see, we must see everything through God's eyes. I can see in your eyes you want me to explain that. <clears throat> Let me say it again, then I'll try to explain. We must see Everything through God's eyes. Example, let's say you're on a plane, as I am so often, and a person in front of you reclines his or her seat, knocks over your drink. Now, recently there have been a spate of conflicts on planes that force the planes to land, people fighting and throwing water in one another's faces and all sorts of things. The devil is busy. 
on the land and in the air. Now, you're a Christian. You've got to see that incident. How? Through God's eyes. How you see it will determine what? How you react. Did they slap Jesus? Did they spit in his face? They might have thrown water in his face too, yes. How did he react? Mm -hmm. No retaliation. Now, when you see that through God's eyes, that perception, that correct perception, now controls your behavior. God presents himself as creator. We must view God the same way, primarily, first, as creator. God as creator should be the foundation of the businesses we run. I'll proceed to talk about that, I hope. God as creator must be at the foundation of the families we establish. God as creator must be at the foundation of churches we set up. Of our outreach program. God as creator. Now, let me talk about the other offices of God. Is God a savior? Yes. When I say God, this, I mean father and son. They're both saviors. Now, it was the son who actually died. But what does the Bible say? God was in Christ. And L.Y. tells us God gave his life through Jesus. Ah, these amens are weak and lifeless. I said God gave his life through Jesus. Amen. Have you eaten? Oh, that's a problem. Okay, all right. I withdraw my, my rebuke. I withdraw. You haven't eaten. I'll get larger amens this evening. God and Son, Savior. We have an intercessor, do we not? That's Jesus who intercedes for us to the Father. Has God always been a Savior? No. Why is only one person answering that question? Let me ask you again. Has God always been a Savior? No. Has God always been a priest? Answer me even if you're wrong. No. Has God always been a conquering king? No. Now here comes the easy question on which you can pass the exam. Has God always been creator? Yes. Ah, sister, you passed. <laughs> yes, now. You begin to see why his role as creator is so central. On the basis of that exam, let me ask you some more questions. Will Jesus always be a savior? Who said yes? Sister, you ought to be this fellowship. Who said yes? Saving people from what? In the new world. Will he be a savior? Yes or no? No. Will he be a priest interceding? No. As a matter of fact, when Christ comes down, he comes wearing a crown, not the mitre of a priest, because his priestly work is done. So I ask you again, and don't enrage me. Will Christ always be a priest? No. Will he always be creator? Yes. Sis in the red hat. God bless you. But we need to understand what we believe. 
not be hesitant. He will always be creator. Because there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And what the creator makes, only the creator can maintain. So he must always be around to maintain what he creates. Somebody say amen. amen. All right. So he will always be. Now let me introduce you to two things. I said God's role as creator must be at the foundation of our business, foundation of everything. Evolution ascribes life to undirected processes. What do I mean by undirected? Well, they happen by chance. Are you with me? Random, nice fancy scientific word. But I say undirected because when we hear direction, we think of someone giving that direction. If this world came about along with people without any direction, totally by chance, to whom are we accountable? But does God require accountability? Yes. Let's go to Genesis 1. What's our subject? Clash of the Titans. Who are the Titans? God and the devil working through evolution. That's why I'm stressing God's role as creator. The power that you identify as having been responsible for your life is your God. Or your creator. Genesis 1, we shall read from verse 26. The Bible says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now pick it up with me. And let them have what? Dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. All right. There's a key word I'm looking for in that verse. You read it quietly, microscopically. Identify that key word as I deal with accountability. Dominion. Dom bless you, sister. Dominion. Do not confuse dominion with ownership. Do not confuse dominion with ownership. God owns it. We manage it. Let me give you a biblical clue <clears throat> as to why God never gave ownership. Let's go to Genesis 2. We read verses 16 and 17. Do you have that? And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayst freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Now, if God had given the trees to Adam, who can read my mind? And if he had given the trees, if they had belonged to Adam, all of them, what could God not say? You can't eat of this one. Adam could have said, it's mine. But the reason why God could say, eat from those, not from this, they belong to God. Now, this is not a, a symbolic statement. This is literal. There are many Bible statements we take symbolically, and they're not in Revelation or Daniel. Let me tell you something about reading the Bible. When you read this book, unless the context is obviously symbolic, read it literally. 
And don't spiritualize everything. Everything in heaven and earth <clears throat> belongs to God. Amen. Let me become personal. You belong to God. Amen. Now, he may not have you, but you belong to him. Amen. What do I mean by you may not have him? He may not have you. By the lies we live, we give ourselves to the devil. But God is the original owner. Are you with me? Amen. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world finish it. Amen. And they that dwell therein. Does that include you? Yes. Me? Yes. <clears throat> Listen to Ellen White. Um, education, page 137, paragraph 4. That which lies at the foundation of business integrity and true success is the recognition of God's ownership. The creator of all things, he is the original proprietor. We are his stewards. All that we have is a trust from him to be used according to his direction. Amen. How many of you run a business? Can I see your hands? You run a business? Hands down. Mark down that quotation. If you run a business. Reference. Education. Page 137. What paragraph did I say? Four. Listen to it again. That which lies at the foundation of business integrity and true success is the recognition of God's ownership. Makes no difference what business you run. Your printer belongs to God. Your computer belongs to God. Now you're saying, mm-hmm, and you're saying, this man is going to extremes. I am not going to extremes. Your iPad belongs to God. Because you did not create the raw materials from which it is made. If we would adopt the mindset of heaven, we would be viewed as absolutely strange. If we would adopt the mindset of heaven, the world will view us as absolutely strange. But the reason why we're not strange... Is because we are so much like the world in our thinking and our behavior. Yes, we may not eat meat and we may drink tons of soy milk, but we are very much like the world. Because we function like the world. We set up a business for the purpose of making money. And there's no crime in that. But a Christian who understands God sets up a business that through the business, glory may come to God's name. That is always the number one reason for anything. You want to have a child? Why? How will God be glorified? You want to date that man? Why? Show me how God will be glorified. If you can't, don't do it. It's not enough to go to church on Saturday. The Jews kept the Sabbath strictly. And so I say again, that which lies at the foundation of business integrity and true success is the recognition of God's ownership. You are looking at me, your vision belongs to God. So watch, be careful how you use that vision when you're on the internet. Be careful where you go, the sites you visit, because your vision belongs to God. And in the middle of viewing that site, God can decide, let me take back my vision. My hearing belongs to God. 
what music will I listen to? You're looking at me as if to say, this man needs medication. <laughs> Let me tell you a secret about me. I do not take, I do not use, I am on no prescribed medication. Let me say it again. Your hearing, finish my words. Your vision, your ability to smell, your ability to touch, your ability to reason. Every blood vessel, every nerve. Then what do you own? Oh yes, you do own something. Your sins. And God wants even those. <laughs> the recognition of God as creator is the basis, should be, I should say, for everything we do. The kind of schools to which we send our children. Or not send. The clash of the titans. There is accountability. Now, why did God require accountability? You see, accountability requires fellowship. You missed what I said. Because, you know, the Bible says in uh, Job chapter 1, verse 6, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Job chapter 2, verse 1, Again there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. Clearly, from those two passages, we may correctly deduce that this was a frequent occurrence. Where the sons of God from all over the universe would come and meet with the Creator to discuss how they were managing His creation. Not that God doesn't know. He knows. But he wants that fellowship. You see, if God gives you ownership, you don't have to report to him. So there's no fellowship. When you have managerial responsibility, you've got to meet with God often to discuss how things are going. When I say often, I mean often. Evolution destroys accountability. To whom are you accountable? No one. Evolution destroys purpose for living. A person who has no purpose for life is living a living death. You must have a purpose for your life. Every living person has a purpose from God. Whether the person carries out that purpose after having identified it is another story. But evolution does not include purpose. Because where there's purpose, there's design. Because a purpose is a design. You missed it. A purpose is a design. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4, verse 5, the Bible says, Then the, Lord, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctify thee, and I ordain thee a prophet unto the nations. Now, God designed a life for Jeremiah. 
Come on, somebody say amen. God designed the life. We design our lives. I will go to college, a particular college, because the college name, it has prestige. You see, that's design. Then when I leave that college, I will go to university and get a master's. Then I'll go get a PhD from a certain school. Then I want a certain job on Wall Street because I want a certain house, and I want to drive a certain car, and I want to buy designer suits. That's a designed life. Purpose. When God made man, God had a purpose. God had a design the way that life should live. Conflict and Courage, page 21, paragraph 5, Ellen White writes, God created man for his glory. Amen. That after test and trial, the human family might become one with the heavenly family. It was God's purpose to repopulate heaven with the earthly family if they would show themselves obedient to his every word. It was God's purpose. It was God's design. In other words, with God, nothing is random. With God, nothing is accidental. God has a reason for everything he does. Mm -hmm. It was his purpose. Bible Commentary, Volume 1, page 1081, paragraph 2. God made the world to enlarge heaven. Ah, you missed that. You missed that. You know, nations go to war sometimes to en enlarge their territory. Eloi tells us God made the world, he had a purpose in mind, to enlarge heaven. God's purpose then was that life on earth should be the same as life in heaven. The quotation goes on, he desires a larger family of created intelligences. God's purpose was everything on earth should function the way things are done in heaven. Bible Commentary, Volume 1, page 1081, Paragraph 3. All heaven took a deep and joyful interest in the creation of the world and of man. Human beings were a new and distinct order. They were made in the image of God. And it was the Creator's design that they should populate the earth. God is a God of purpose, design. Question for you, do not answer me. Have you identified God's purpose in your life? If you haven't, you may still be saved, yes, but you will never live as full a life as you could have lived had you identified that purpose and fulfilled it by God's grace. Let me say it again. You cannot live as full and as blessed a life when you live off the track that God originally laid for your life. Now, he can save you, yes. He saved Samson. But a path of whores and prostitutes, was that God's path for Samson? No. The most blessed life is the life lived along the path God has paved for your life. Amen. And that path may be different from your husband's path. Because God does not clone. Clone is a big word. You didn't get it? God does not reproduce two things that are identical. Now, he and his, he and his son are one, yes. That may be divine cloning, I don't know. But no created work of God. No two things are alike. Purpose, accountability. My brothers and sisters, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. 
Now that text can go back as far as you want. You know, in uh, Colossians 1, 16, it says, For by him were all things created, that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Principalities, powers, thrones, dominions, all refer to various levels of angelic power and authority. Which took place before the earth was created. Because the angels existed before the world was made. That's why the morning stars sang together. The angels, sons of God, in other words, shouted for joy. They were there. So whether this world or going as far back as you can, everything was made by God. Everything has a purpose. Let me give you a beautiful quotation from Ellen White. I mean just beautiful. Desire of Ages, page 20, paragraph 2. There is nothing save the selfish heart of man that lives unto itself. No bird that cleaves the air, no animal that moves upon the ground, but ministers to some other life. There is no leaf of the forest or lowly blade of grass, but has its ministry. Every tree and shrub and leaf pours forth that element of life without which neither man nor animal could live. And man and animal in turn minister to the life of tree and shrub and leaf. The flowers breathe fragrance and unfold their beauty in blessing to the world. The sun sheds its light to gladden a thousand worlds. The ocean, itself the source of all our springs and fountains, receives the streams from every land, but takes to give. The mists ascending from its bosom fall in showers to water the earth that it may bring forth and bud. Every blade of grass has a purpose. Every leaf has a purpose. Evolution does not involve purpose. My brothers and sisters, if you believe that, the world will regard you as very funny. You know, the family of Jesus tried to stop him from preaching because they said he was mad. You read Mark 3.21. The King James Version says he is beside himself. Ellen White writes in Patriarchs and Prophets, page 126, paragraph 1, the family and friends of Abraham could not understand why he would pack up and leave. Luke 2, 48 to 50, when Jesus told his earthly father and mother, wist ye not that I must be about my father's business, they did not understand. The more nearly we live like God, the more distant we become from the comprehension of the world and from members of the church. And so this morning, I present to you a God of creation. I present to you a God who has a purpose for your life. A purpose for your life. I present to you a God who wants you to be accountable to him because he enjoys the fellowship with you. I present to you a God who alone can save you. 
I present to you a God who knows the end from the beginning of your life. If you will trust him, he will guide you step by step. Somewhere Ellen White writes, if we could see the end from the beginning, we would choose to be led the way God has been leading us. And that occurred in the life of Lot. The angel said, escape for thy life. Escape to the mountains. Look not behind thee, neither sit thou in all the plain. Lot said, oh, uh, not so. Behold, this is a little city. Let me flee to it. The angel said, See, I've accepted thee concerning this thing also, that I will not overthrow this city for which thou hast spoken. Uh, Genesis 19.21 Haste thee, escape thither. In other words, go to the city you wanted. Even though God said, go to the mountain. In verse 30, the Bible says, Lot went to the mountain. <laughs> because Lot realized that God's recommendation was correct. What Ellen White is saying, if we could see, we would choose the way God has chosen for us. My brothers and sisters, you serve a risen creator. And he wants you in his world with him when he comes back. He's going to remake this world. That's a reality. Now, I believe all of you are preparing for Christmas. I hope I didn't falsely accuse. Most of you are preparing for Christmas. You've set aside some money to waste on things people don't need. You've already done that. To give a man a tie he doesn't need. Socks he doesn't need. Fine. Are we preparing to enter God's kingdom? Are you waiting for the Sunday law to be passed? Listen, preparation for God's kingdom has to be every day, moment by moment, because long before the Sunday law passes, you may pass. And then what happened to your preparation? Let's not focus on events to come so exclusively. We do not understand the critical necessity of being ready now in case I close my eyes. There is a God who is a creator. And as he gave life to Adam and Eve and gave them purpose, he's given you life. In everything you do. You know what the Bible says? Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, but also in the days of thy gray hairs or no hair. Remember now thy creator. Are you with me? Shall we not remember our creator now? How many will say, Father, thank you for this message. I recommit my life to you, the creator of all things. May I see your hand? Do you mean it as you raise your hand? Heads bowed, eyes closed. Our Father in heaven, we thank you, dear God that you are God. We thank you that Jesus is God. Different functions, but equal in substance and, and, and power. We thank you, dear God, for creating. We thank you for maintaining creation. We thank you for sending someone equal with yourself to pay the penalty for our sins. Ah, Father, that transaction called the gospel, where he takes our sins. He is made sin that we might be made the righteousness of God. Father, we can never fully explain that or understand it. That's why it will be the foundation of our heavenly curriculum throughout eternity. But for now, dear God, we say consciously, here is my life. Then we correct ourselves, here is your life you've entrusted to me. Guide me, lead me, direct me. Let my burden be in everything I do to bring glory and honor to your name. Bless all that goes on today, I pray, dear God. When you come into your kingdom, save us, Father. Without losing one, I offer this prayer from my heart. In Jesus' name and for his sake, let all God's people say, Amen and Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, 
or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.